Hello again, and welcome to your weekly wake-up call, otherwise known as Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you and me and we the people into an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi, and the reason that I am doing this is that I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened, and it took me an awfully long time to understand exactly the impact that that had upon my life. In the wake of Fukushima, this podcast is my citizen activist response to all things nuclear so that I can lend my voice to the growing anti-nuclear movement worldwide. On today's podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Kevin Camps, who is the radioactive waste watchdog at Beyond Nuclear, and he's got some fabulous information to share with us. We'll also be having uh, your holistic healing moment and some activist opportunities for you to get involved in that are as easy as watching a video and then signing a petition. Today is Tuesday, August 23, 2011, day 165 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th. And here is the latest nuclear news. Today, there was a 5.9 earthquake in Virginia, centered 13 miles away from the North Anna Nuclear Station. Uh, This quake was felt as far north as Toronto and as far west as Columbus, Ohio. Now, one, according to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, one of the four diesel generators at this power plant stopped working after the plant had started up. Uh, this, according to David McIntyre, who is a spokesman for the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. There were no reports of damage at the plant, uh, he said, and uh, North Anna is seven miles or 11 kilometers from the earthquake's epicenter in Mineral, Virginia. The earthquake was felt from Richmond, Virginia to Toronto, as I said, and as far west as Columbus, Ohio. There are eight nuclear plants in Region 1, which this belongs to, which stretches from Maryland to Maine. And these, uh, excuse me, there were eight nuclear plants that declared, quote, unquote, unusual events, which is the lowest of the four emergency designations classified by the commission. And according to Beth Hayden, who is a spokeswoman for the NRC, I suspect we'll see other plants declaring unusual events as well. Now, here's the story buried in that story. They have four generators for uh, doing the emergency backup to the cooling systems. One of the four failed. But, of course, this wasn't considered an emergency because the other generators were working, according to the NRC. This is your captain speaking. Yes, we're on the airplane. We're in the middle of the air, and we have four engines. And, oops, only three of them are working, but nothing to worry about because the three are working. Just sit back, have another cocktail, and we'll get you in okay. I don't think that's the way nuclear power plants should be run. Do you? Meanwhile, a second story today, because Mother Nature is making us aware of uh, problems in the nuke world, Uh, Hurricane Irene is over the Atlantic Ocean, and it is coming close to being a Category 4 level storm. Now, for comparison, Katrina, when it hit New Orleans, was Category 3. It is currently heading towards the coastline of North Carolina, And that means it's heading towards the Brunswick Nuclear Generating Station on the coast near Wilmington. The rapidly intensifying Irene has already cut a destructive path through the Caribbean and is the first hurricane to seriously threaten the U.S. in almost three years. Uh, It could be uh, hitting the uh, coast of uh, Florida by Friday 
and then making landfall in the Carolinas on Saturday or sunny, Sunday. Um, now, here's something to know about the Brunswick Nuclear Generating Station in North Carolina. That's the one that's on the coast there. Back in July, the Union of Concerned Scientists flagged it as having a bad building with, quote, improperly installed bolts and supports that may allow the emergency diesel generating building to collapse had there been an earthquake or a hurricane. Uh, the emergency diesel generators probably would have been broken by the building's collapse. And plants like Brunswick are designed to survive on battery power, but only for a few moments. Since the normal supply or supply for the plant may also have been disabled by the earthquake or hurricane, uh, a building's collapse may have left the plant without any power except from those batteries. So the building did not collapse, but it was in danger of it, only if it was hit by, oh, an earthquake or a hurricane. And here we are on August 23rd, and what do we have in that area? A pending hurricane and an already existing earthquake. Oh, it just makes me feel so secure. Now, there's a new video that has been posted by Irony Gunderson of fairwinds.com. That's fairwinds with an E after the fair. And anytime Irony posts, it's uh, important for us to pay attention. I consider him one of the most reliable sources of information and explaining what's going on in the nuclear world without hysteria, without overblowing it, but with really solid basis. Arnie's a former nuclear industry insider. He actually ran a nuclear power plant, and uh, now he consults on various levels with various governments, and he's one of the people who reconstructs accidents after they have happened, nuclear accidents. So Arnie's been doing updates, and uh, this latest one is on um, the Fukushima waste, which Japan is now attempting to get rid of by burning. And he said that in this video, this is just a summary of some of the points he went into in great detail, that there are many serious ramifications from burning nuclear waste. Uh, among others, the material from Fukushima that was on the ground is now going airborne again. That towns are having cesium redeposited on them by the burning of nuclear material. And even if there are locations that have been cleaned up, they're being recontaminated. Clouds of radioactivity uh, within the smoke are recontaminating areas, and they continue to waft across towards the Pacific Northwest. Basically, Arnie said, we are recreating Fukushima all over again. Further, he said, and this is, Arnie's a pretty conservative guy when it comes to his wording, so this is significant. He said, quote, the Japanese government has yet to grasp the severity of the contamination within Japan and has not developed a coherent plan to mitigate the accident and remediate the environment. Without a cohesive plan to deal with this ongoing problem of large-scale radioactive contamination, the radioactivity will continue to spread throughout Japan and around the globe. So to view that complete video, uh, there is a link posted on the Nuclear Hot Site uh, link. It's nuclearhotseat.com, and it's listed under, uh, under Arnie Gunderson's name. You'll see it there near the top. Now, another story here in the United States, and that is that radioact a radioactive form of hydrogen has leaked from a newest U.S. nuclear plant into soil and groundwater and has reached the nearby Connecticut River in Vermont, according to health officials. 
this came from uh, Vermont. It deals with the uh, Vermont Yankee uh, nuclear plant, which has been heavily contested by the people of Vermont. The State Department of Health Commissioner Harry Chen said water samples from the shoreline near the Vermont Yankee nuclear plant last month, meaning in July, tested positive for small amounts of tritium, a radioactive isotope of hydrogen. Governor Pete Shumlin of Vermont wants more wells to pull contaminated water from the ground on the Vermont Yankee site. Excuse me. And he says he is, quote-unquote, very concerned. Now, that's a good response from a politician. This news followed a recent claim that dangerous radiation had leaked from three-quarters of all U.S. nuclear power stations, raising fears that the country's water supplies could one day be contaminated. Radioactive tritium has escaped from at least 48 of 65 of all U.S. sites, often entering the water around the plants through rusty old pipes. That's right, they need some changes in the plumbing. If you had a house that was 30 or 40 years old, you'd expect to have to upgrade the plumbing. Why do we not have similar expectations of the plumbing on nuclear reactors when all of their insides are subject to such stress from radioactivity and containing it and, and all the pressures that it's under? Now, this was all dealing with the Vermont Yankee plant, which is run by a company called Entergy. And I want you to listen closely to their response. In response to claims of a leak, Vermont Yankee said in a statement, quote, We are aware that the Vermont Department of Health may have detected strontium-90 in some fish in the Connecticut River. Do you see a disconnect there in the discussion? They went on. There is absolutely no evidence to suggest that Vermont Yankee is the source for the strontium-90. We do not know why the governor would suggest Vermont Yankee is the source, but there is no factual basis for that suggestion. This is classic disinformation. The issue being raised by the governor, by the State Department of Health, has to do with tritium in the groundwater. The response, the vehement response from Entergy, is about strontium-90 in some fish. And the strontium-90 probably came from... Uh, rain that carried down um, um, pollution from Fukushima. So nobody's put, pinning that one on Vermont Yankee. So in, ex in response to one complaint, they're responding completely denying something else. And if somebody's not listening closely, they might miss that. Just wanted to point that out. Well, we have a very important interview today. Kevin, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you here. Kevin Camps is the guest today on Nuclear Hot Seat, and he has served as radioactive waste watchdog at Beyond Nuclear in Tacoma Park, Maryland, since 2007. Before that, he served in a similar role as nuclear waste specialist at Nuclear Information and Resource Service, NIRS, or NERS as it's called, which is located in Washington, D.C. He did that as of 1999. Now, Beyond Nuclear aims to educate and activate the public about the connections between nuclear power and nuclear weapons and the need to abolish both to safeguard our future. Beyond Nuclear advocates for an energy future that is sustainable, benign, and democratic. Boy, are those three great words to see in connection with each other around energy. Kevin, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thanks for having me. And my pleasure. And Here's the first question. You are a nuclear waste specialist and watchdog. Tell us what that means. Well, we are an environmental organization, and we keep our eye on the nuclear power industry, both the weapons industry and the power industry, as 
well as the federal agencies uh, here in Washington, D.C. that are supposed to protect the public and the environment. And so uh, nuclear waste carries a lot of risk for the public, for the environment, and so we're trying to keep our eyes on that important issue and other related issues, the risks of the reactors at the nuclear power plants, the specifics of the risks of radiation to human health, and uh, my area of work involves the radioactive waste that is an inevitable byproduct from operating atomic reactors. So we've touched upon these issues here, but give us a clear overview of the problems that we face because of nuclear waste. Well, uh, uranium is a toxic heavy metal and uh, radioactive when it comes out of the earth in its natural form, but when it is uh, purified and concentrated and processed, enriched, and especially when it is used as reactor fuel and atoms are split, it comes out of a reactor a million times more radioactive than when it went in as Wait a minute, did you say a million times more radioactive? That's a conservative estimate, yes. It is now deadly radioactive coming out of an atomic reactor, so much so that it has to be put behind radiation shielding at all times. Any person who came in close contact to high-level radioactive waste just removed from a reactor would be killed by gamma radiation, would receive a fatal dose in just seconds. And even after decades of cooling in a uh, pool of water, for example, the radioactivity is so intense still in the form of gamma radiation that you could still get a fatal dose without radiation shielding in just a matter of minutes from a radiated fuel that's decades out of a reactor core. Okay, so how much of this stuff is there is there out there hanging out, say, in the United States nuclear reactor world? Well, on the commercial side, uh, those are the electricity-generating reactors, and we have 104 still operating and about 25 that are permanently shut down. The United States has generated, since 1957, a grand total of about 65,000 metric tons of commercial irradiated nuclear fuel. And in addition, there is the nuclear weapons side of things. And over on that side, um, there's over 10,000 metric tons of high-level radioactive waste. So... We already have 75,000 tons of high-level radioactive waste in this country, and it turns out that that would be enough to fill the first repository if we had one. We don't have a deep geologic repository. President Obama has wisely canceled the Yucca Mountain, Nevada, proposed dump site for high-level radioactive waste, which means uh, we're still searching for that first dump site, which is already full, even though we don't have it. And why was the dump site canceled, and when you said wisely canceled? Yes, um, it is geologically unsuitable to serve the purpose, and that was known from the very beginning by the Department of Energy. Back in the early 1980s, when they first looked at Yucca Mountain, they declared it one of the, the worst sites under consideration in the country. And the specifics are that the, the mountain, Yucca, is a seismic zone. There's a lot of earthquake activity there. In fact, there's two earthquake fault lines that directly pass through where the waste would be buried under Yucca Mountain, and then there's dozens more earthquake fault lines in the vicinity out to about 10 or 20 miles away. And so that rock at Yucca, which is called volcanic tuff, is uh, fractured, it's fissured, and those have created pathways, those cracks, for water to flow down. And it is an arid area in the current geologic era, 
although there have been wet periods at Yucca going far enough back in time, and there will be again in the future. So any rain that falls at Yucca percolates down uh, in large quantities, actually, and reaches the proposed burial site. That means the waste burial containers, which are simply made of things like steel, will corrode away and release their contents, which is this forever deadly radioactive waste. And then under Yucca is an aquifer, which is the drinking water supply and the irrigation water supply for a vibrant farming community downstream called Amargosa Valley, just 20 miles away. And uh, beyond that, there are national wildlife refuges with endangered species. There is uh, a national park. And there's a Native American tribe, the Timbisha Shoshone, all of which use that water for their, their lifeblood. That's what's at risk at Yucca Mountain. And fortunately, the project has been canceled by President Obama. You know, I'm struck, as you're saying this, by the number of sites for nuclear reactors and waste depositories and all of that that seem to have gone on the most seismically dangerous ground imaginable and that that has been the choice. Of course, here in California, we're dealing with San Onofre and Diablo Canyon, both both of which um, are either on top of or very close to within five miles of major earthquake faults. And is there... It just strikes me that there's a complete lack of logic, rationale, perhaps sanity when it comes to choosing the sites for all of these nuclear places. I was unaware of that with um, Yucca Mountain. So uh, let's get back to this. How, what do we do with this stuff? How can we store it? How can we get rid of it or neutralize it? Well, the, uh, that is a very good question. The only good answer for radioactive waste is to not make it in the first place. But we have 75,000 tons of high-level radioactive waste in the United States. The consensus opinion, the consensus position of the environmental movement, and we have over 200 groups signed on to this idea, is what we call hardened on-site storage. It's a recognition that the wastes are very much at risk right now where they're at, which is at the reactor sites that generated them. They need to be better protected against accidents, against terrorist attacks, and against eventual uh, degradation with age and simple corrosion, which could release the deadly materials into the environment. And so hardened on-site storage uh, envisions fortifying the wastes against terrorist attacks, especially offloading the pools, which are full of waste. Uh, they're packed to the gills and very vulnerable. If you lose electricity, you lose the circulating water in the pool. The pool water could boil away and the waste could catch on fire. And pools are not located within containment structures like reactors are. So those would be direct releases to the environment of massive amounts of radioactivity. So we're calling for the waste to be offloaded into outdoor dry cask storage, like happens now, but the dry casks have to be much better built. They take so many shortcuts at this point on dry cask storage. And they have to be fortified against attack. They have to be better safeguarded against accidents. And they need such basic uh, safety uh, systems as radiation monitors and heat monitors and pressure monitors, all of which are lacking at the present time. What can we, the people, do to support moving our government, our elected officials, whatever the bureaucracy is, towards the adoption of these hardened on-site storage containers? 
Well, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which could require this right away, is infamous for being in cahoots with the nuclear power industry that it's supposed to oversee. But Congress actually oversees the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And certain members of Congress, like U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer of California, are in a very powerful position. She's the chairwoman of the Environment and Public Works Committee with jurisdiction over NRC. So uh, people who live in California could certainly contact Senator uh, Boxer's office and urge her to hold hearings on these issues, to invite environmentalists to the table as witnesses, which is very rare, almost never happens on Capitol Hill to testify about the need for hardened on-site storage. And she could put a lot of pressure on the NRC to do this. She has done some good uh, work. She's held hearings about the Fukushima catastrophe and really held the Nuclear Regulatory Commission directors, the five commissioners, feet to the fire on certain things. But on this radioactive waste issue, so far, uh, there hasn't been enough attention. And then folks who don't live in California, of course, their members uh, of the Senate could contact Senator Boxer. And so the pressure from uh, ordinary Americans could make the difference on this issue on Capitol Hill. Do you have any sample letters that we might be able to post on the Nuclear Hot Seat site? Yeah, we sure do. Our website, which is beyondnuclear.org, is filled with ideas for taking action, including uh, sample letters. And in fact, I'm just now working on one. Because uh, when Yucca was canceled, President Obama created what is called the Blue Ribbon Commission on America's Nuclear Future, which is a panel of 15 people who were supposed to come up with Plan B for the radioactive waste. And they've come up with a lot of really bad ideas. And so as we speak, I'm working on um, sample letters and talking points that folks can use to comment to the Blue Ribbon Commission by its October 31st deadline. Once they finalize their policy recommendations, that's going to influence uh, legislation for decades to come on radioactive waste issues. How soon do you think you'll have those letters ready? Because I would love to post uh, either the letters themselves or links to them on Nuclear Hot Seat. Well, uh, I hope within days. I am working through the 200-page draft of the Blue Ribbon Commission. Um, and the bad ideas include things like parking lot dumps on Native American reservations, uh, a new search for a dump site in the country, any of those away from reactor plans would put this material on the roads, rails, and waterways, bringing it that much closer to millions of Americans with lots of risk associated with that. So I'm trying to boil down uh, our pushback against these bad ideas, and I hope to have that done in the next few days. Mm -hmm. There was perhaps a naive suggestion or two naive suggestions about um, remediation from radiation, and I just want to put them out for your input if you have any familiarity. Um, Paul Stamets um, is a man who works with mushrooms. He did a talk on, on uh, one of the TED Talks. And he talked about micro-remediation of pollution. He was talking about heavy metals, but he's since come forward and said that by planting certain forms of mushrooms, they could trap radiation or pull the um, uh, heavy metals out of the soil and make it so that normal life could take place. Do you have any familiarity with that or any comment on it? Well, my comment is that certainly Chernobyl has shown that mushrooms do absorb radioactivity in a concentrated fashion. But the problem is that now the mushroom is radioactive waste. Mm. So precautions would have to be taken if your intent is to clean the soil for agricultural uses, let's say, and you use mushrooms to try to um, 
to pull the radioactivity out of the soil, you have to be very careful with what happens with the mushrooms. And uh, a story from Chernobyl is indicative that uh, a program was set up not using mushrooms, but using another plant to pull radioactivity out of farm fields, hoping to salvage those fields. And unfortunately, the farmers were not educated as to how this was going to work. <laughs> and so they fed the plants to their cattle, and they ruined their cattle by doing that, their dairy cattle. And we've seen a similar thing happen, not intentionally, but by accident, but through incompetence in Japan, where rice holes uh, used as hay or as straw for feeding uh, beef cattle in Japan were radioactively contaminated, and that spread the radioactive contamination through the beef supply of Japan in a very bad way. And now beef has to be destroyed. Um, the same is happening with dairy cattle in Japan. So you'd have to be very careful how you went about such a such a program. Mm. And the other one is that um, there was a book uh, called First Contact by Mark Kaufman, and he was talking about signs on Earth that perhaps there have been extraterrestrial life that's come down. He's not talking aliens, he's just talking about life forms, and pointed out uh, in one section that there was a bacterium found in uh, mine shafts in South Africa, a bacterium that actually eats radiation. It uses that as its food and does not become radioactive itself. And I was wondering if anybody has looked into that as a possibility to see if there's any use for it. That I'm less familiar with. I am more familiar with microbes that were a danger at Yucca Mountain of actually uh, accelerating the corrosion of the waste burial containers again by breaking down the steel that they were made from. So. I'm not familiar with uh, with uh, microbes that can digest radioactivity. Well, I'd like to open this up for uh, Q&A. If there's anybody in the listening audience who has a particular question, we're talking with Kevin Camps, uh, who's the radioactive waste watchdog at Beyond Nuclear, and uh, he's been opening our eyes to a lot of very important information to consider. So if anybody's got a question, jump in now. Many lurkers. Tim, do you have something? Oh. Well, Kevin, um, what? Here's a question I've been asking many of the activists who have um, come on the on the podcast, and that is that there's a tremendous amount of of personal stress that one faces when one is dealing with this information. Uh, I know I have faced it. I've talked with other nuclear activists who agree that at times it gets kind of dark and kind of rough to keep going forward in the face of what it is we're dealing with. I want to know, what is it that you do to deal with the stress of the information that you face on a daily basis uh, in being the nuclear waste watchdog that you are? Yeah, it really... Uh needs to involve balance in life, for sure, because these are such heavy and uh, traumatizing issues uh, to know about, just to know about, let alone to try to do something about, which is so important. And so um, pacing oneself, having balance in life, and uh, it's, a, it's a constant struggle for me. I've been doing this for nearly 20 years now, um, and you can sure see the toll taken in a place like Washington, D.C., on colleagues of mine uh, at other organizations, uh, just where I've worked at Beyond Nuclear and at Nuclear Information Resource Service, we kind of stand out as an exception because the folks at these organizations tend to stay on for a very long time in these positions. But 
at other environmental groups in town, you can really see uh, the burnout because there's a lot of uh, movement away, <laughs> you know, short stints by folks, and then new people come in to take their place. So it's a very uh, real issue, and I'm reminded of a book by Joanna Macy written a long time ago, probably 25 years ago at this point, called uh, Despair and Personal Power in the Nuclear Age. And it was about uh, the nuclear weapons um, risk and anti-nuclear weapons activism, but it certainly applies to nuclear power issues as well. And um, so that's a good read. Um, Give us that information again. It's Despair and... Yeah, the book title is uh, Despair and Personal Power in the Nuclear Age Mm -hmm. by Joanna Macy. And uh, it was about nuclear weapons activism, but it, it... talked about the spiritual um, side of things that needs to be a part of, of the work we do. And an interesting connection, uh, Joanna Macy is also the originator of a concept called the Nuclear Guardianship Project. She's a, uh, a Buddhist scholar, especially on Tibetan Buddhism, and her point with the Nuclear Guardianship Project was that this forever deadly material, I mentioned the acute risks from gamma radiation over the first centuries that posed by irradiated fuel, but um, things like plutonium-239 remain hazardous for 500,000 years into the future. You have to get it inside of you somehow, ingest it, inhale it, but that's the long-term risk of high-level radioactive waste are these very long-lived hazards like plutonium-239. And uh, her nuclear guardianship project talks about a uh, an idea like Tibetan Buddhism where wisdom and knowledge is passed from one generation to the next over millennia. So Tibetan Buddhism is a uh, is a religion that is 5000 years old. I'm not an expert on this, but she points out that our guarding this nuclear waste will have to entail a very similar system where knowledge and wisdom is transmitted from one generation to the next for thousands of human generations into the future to try to keep this material out of the living environment. It's almost like having a monastery and monks who of both sexes who will pass the information along and have the guardianship of this uh, very dangerous material. That's exactly her point. That's exactly her proposal. And, uh, you know, it almost feels, you mentioned, you know, the, the heaviness of the, this work, it almost feels like we are the first generations of that effort. An interesting um, perspective on it, Kevin. Um, if there is anything that we can do, first of all, why don't you give us um, your website again? Sure. It's www.beyondnuclear.org. And again, if we were to give you support, props, um, writing to Barbara Boxer, we'll take a look at that um, that letter when you send it, and I will get it out to the mailing list and let people know about it. Um, beyond that, what else can we do to support you? Well, uh, there are great groups on the ground all over the country, and so you could contact us through the website there, or my email address is kevin at beyondnuclear.org, and I can put you in touch with the groups on the ground wherever you happen to live because we have 104 operating reactors in this country. The reactors are a risk. The radioactive wastes on site are a risk. We have 25 permanently shut down reactors where the wastes are still a risk on site. 
you could plug into those local groups and get involved. And there's uh, so much going on and so many good fights to jump into. And that's the hope that I really cling to is there's a lot of good news, too. I mean, you look at Germany, and right after Fukushima, the conservative prime minister announced a phase-out of nuclear power by 2022. That didn't happen overnight. It was not uh, her wisdom that led to that decision. It was her political survival that required it because of 30 years or more of anti-nuclear activism in Germany that led up to that moment. And Fukushima was the final straw. But that's the hope, is that we can recreate uh, such a movement here in the United States. And the uh, beginnings of it are all over the place, folks who have stayed at it for decades fighting their local atomic reactors. That gives great hope because sometimes the big picture is too big to wrap one's head around, but local activism can make a difference, and it can start as locally, as I've said on this program, with your neighborhood council, with your local government, with your water board. There are a lot of strategies, and we will continue to discuss them on this podcast. In the meantime, Kevin Camps from uh, Beyond Nuclear, thank you so much for your time and your information. And um, when you've got that letter ready, send it along. We will post it and I'll do my best to get it out to other people in California. Thanks so much for that. My pleasure. And feel free to stay on the rest of the podcast as well. Um, a bit more nuclear news. Uh, that is, Canada has finally decided that it's going to start testing. This is in response to a lot of complaints that have been coming from the citizens of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the, Cana the Canadian Food Inspection Agency plans to start testing fish off the coast of British Columbia for the presence of radiation stemming from Fukushima. Now, uh, millions of sockeye have already started returning to the Fraser River, and fishing season is already well underway, so they're a little late. They may be politically motivated by some hearings going on in the country, but still better late than not at all. And at the same time, uh, researchers are planning to test for radiation in the Yukon's local food supply. Uh, the Northern Contaminants Program uh, will test caribou for radiation as part of its ongoing effort to monitor uh, a particular herd, the porcupine caribou herd. Um, now, this is parallel to following Chernobyl when uh, in Scandinavia, the Same people who, were, who are dependent upon reindeer herds, are, these are the native people of uh, the Scandinavian countries, uh, the nomads, uh, they have a culture very dependent on reindeer. And unfortunately, uh, there's some noise in the background. If somebody could just hit star six to mute themselves, that would be great. Um, but the Same people had, unfortunately, when the reindeer were tested, they had radiation and entire herds were slaughtered. So they lost their livelihood. I don't believe that the herds have come back in any great numbers since that time. So this is a real risk. What's interesting is that UConn's chief medical officer of health, uh, Brendan Haney, Dr. Brendan Haney, says he's confident the test results will prove the food supply is, quote-unquote, radiation-free. And then he says, Again, watch the wording. There is really no indication from any of the monitoring that has been going on since the incident in Japan back in March that there has been any significant fallout. This is just one extra way of making sure that it hasn't worked its way into the food chain to any significant degree. My question is, what is the definition of the word significant? 
because they're under their indications in the Pacific Northwest that radiation has been increasing. Uh, there have been unexplained um, uh, fetal death up there. Um, there have been radiation readings that have been done by citizen activists that are well off the charts. And uh, the question then becomes, what would make it significant to you, Dr. Haney? If I were in Canada, that's a question I would be asking. One of the things I do, I don't know if it's to amuse myself or just to make myself a little bit more nuts on this issue, but I am plugged into a number of pro-nuclear sites because it's always good to know what the other side is doing talking to each other. Actually, somebody on my Facebook uh, site sent me a link that she was very proud of that turned out to be a pro-nuclear site, but it's just been a mine of, of additional information that I had a chance to track down. And uh, here are two of the pieces that I have gotten from these sites. In one of them, uh, I learned that uh, the Unit 3 nuclear reactant, nuclear power plant at Tamari in Japan's northern Hokkaido Island, which has been in just test operation for the past five months, meaning before Fukushima, uh, this is following a periodic inspection that they have where they get taken offline for the tests, uh, they have been given permission to resume normal commercial operation. This makes it the first reactor to be given such approval in the country since the March 11th earthquake and tsunami. Way to go, Japan. Way to go, Tamari Nuclear Power Plant. Let's get another one of those suckers up online and, and uh, being just ripe for the next earthquake and or tsunami to come along. And here's, here's one that really tickled my morbid funny bone. You know how sites will have little ads or links that are embedded to go to other sites where people are obviously playing, paying for placement? This was one that read, Re Reactor Operators, you may need only 10 courses to fulfill your bachelor's degree with a link to an educational unit. So yes, you too, anyone within the sound of my voice, can be a nuclear plant operator just send in your application with a certified check and two box stops, and we will send you your very own certificate of nuclear competence with gold embossed letters, suitable for framing, and yes, it glows in the dark. With that in mind, I think we need the voice of activism back in our uh, back in our ears. Uh, this is one that came from the nuclear summit that took place uh, just two weeks ago in San Mateo, California. This is where we were organizing for a nuclear-free California. And here's one of the activists here with a message directly for you. Uh, let me get this going. My name is Phil Klasky, and I teach at San Francisco State University. I'm also the director of the Storyscape Project of the Cultural Conservancy. I want to speak to the students out there. You should not take my word for it that nuclear power is extremely dangerous. You need to find out for yourself. It's important enough an issue for you to find out for yourself because it's your future. A lot of people are saying the only way to deal with global climate destabilization is to pursue nuclear power. It's not a solution, but there are other solutions. In fact, there are blueprints out there for how we can proceed. So I want to encourage you to find out for yourself. You can also go to our website, and uh, you can contact me personally through P-K-L-A-S-K-Y at I-G-C dot org. That's Phil Klasky, who is with uh, San Francisco State University, and uh, do...
contact him. He's one of the many activist voices that we took uh, during that conference, and uh, I will be sharing more of them with you in the future. Now, here there's a very important activist step that you can take. I always like to include an activist step, and uh, it's listed on nuclearhotseat.com, and it is a movement for the evacuation of Fukushima. Right now, there are families, families with children that want to evacuate but do not have the money, do not have the resources, and are having no support from the government for getting out of admittedly a dangerous place. The kids are coming up with, with nosebleeds, with low white blood cell counts. Uh, there's uncontrolled diarrhea. All of these are signs of radiation exposure. The parents are terribly worried. They want to, at minimum, get their children out, but everybody needs to evacuate from that area. So on the site is a video. It's about 25 minutes long. Um, I urge you to watch the whole thing because it starts with a picture of Fukushima on March 10, 2011, the picture that none of us see because it was the day before everything started to happen. It goes through to the end, and it has a lot of stills. It has extended videos, um, which I've only seen in excerpted form online, and it is deeply moving, very powerful, and extremely infuriating. When you get done, there is a link, and the link is also posted separately on nuclearhotseat.com, and that is to sign a petition to support the evacuation of Fukushima with full government support. So I urge you, if you take no other action this week, to watch the video. And even if you don't want to watch the video, sign the petition. And then, if you would, please forward it to others. Because those people, they're human beings. They deserve to be allowed to get out of harm's way. And they need to do so with the support of a government that steps away from the lies and back into being a government that genuinely governs, assists, and supports its population. Uh, for the holistic healing tip, well, uh, Kevin talked about it. I talk about it. There's a tremendous amount of stress uh, that is on our bodies, first of all, with dealing with any increase that may be happening in the radiation load around us, and also just in the emotional stress that we live in dangerous times and we're becoming progressively more aware of exactly how dangerous it is. One of the things that I have been using for years to deal with stress situations is a Bach flower remedy combination called Rescue Remedy. Uh, the Bach flower remedies are the result of a Dr. Bach who took extracts, took essences from different flowers and tested them against emotional circumstances in people's lives and found out that certain flowers responded by lifting um, what people were feeling, the inappropriate, the, the stressful emotions people were feeling around certain areas of their life. There are different kinds of stress, different types of um, uh, grief or mourning or upset that people go through, and different flowers approach different ones. Rescue Remedy is a combination of many of these, and it is meant to be used as a general de-stressor that works just about instantaneously by placing drops under your tongue. It helps if you have uh, uh, not eaten anything or had anything to drink for the previous 30 minutes, and it's best to not eat or drink anything for about 15 minutes afterwards. It's the same as is basic for homeopathics. But in taking this, it gives your body some essence message that helps it not hold on to the stress and relax so that you are not being driven by the stress, you are not being, your adrenals are not being compromised by the stress. 
So um, Rescue Remedy is available drug stores, health food stores. It's one of those products that is generally recognized as safe, and it's generally recognized all over the place where you can get it. So um, if you are feeling some stress around these issues or anything else that's going on in your life, um, do take a look at Rescue Remedy. I don't usually recommend products, but this is one that um, I have found is absolutely worth it and extremely trustworthy, and there's nothing bad that can happen to you for taking it. So... This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, August 16, 2011. Again, this is 165 days since each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors got started in Fukushima. Three nuclear reactors times 165 days, and we've got 495 nuclear leak days. They're trying still to say, gee, is this worse than Fukushima? Or, excuse me, is this worse than Chernobyl? Is Chernobyl still worse than this? We are so far beyond Chernobyl that it's completely off the charts. And we will continue to follow this information on Nuclear Hot Seat as the podcast. You can find us and links to the entire archive of our previous programs by going to nuclearhotseat.com. You can also find daily updates with links to current stories on the, new, on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. I'll turn it into a fan page when I figure out how to do that. If anybody can help me with that, please shoot me an email or shoot me a message on Facebook because I'd love the assistance. We are also an official podcast that is now up and available on iTunes and you can subscribe to it there so it will show up on your computer in your inbox instead of having to worry about what you're doing at 4 p.m. Pacific uh, on Tuesday afternoons. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications where you have the heart of the art of communicating reminding you that we have all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Stay awake. Don't go back to sleep. No hitting that snooze button. Be well. Be safe. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.